we're cranking out a lot of beer. This is definitely our busiest time of the year. People drink more. That's Patrick Morse of Flagship Brewing on Staten Island. Welcome to the third season of Over Beers, a craft beer conversation podcast. My name is Freddie Clark. With the nature of the brewing business, it's not uncommon for brewers to move around a lot. This has definitely been the case for Patrick Morse, the head brewer of Staten Island's flagship brewing. His career has had him crisscrossing the U.S. a couple of times as he worked his way up the brewing ranks. Before we begin with Patrick, let's talk about one of their staple styles for flagship brewing, their Kolsch. Kolsch is an ale, but one with characteristics that are very similar to Pilsner, which is a lager. In fact, it was originally brewed as a response to the Pilsner craze that was sweeping through Europe. Check out an earlier episode of Over Beers where we talked about that Pilsner invasion of Europe. Technically, a true Kolsch will come from Cologne, Germany, like how Champagne must come from that area of France. Well, since 1998, it may be labeled with a European Union logo, like the specialties of Bordeaux, Chianti, and Champagne. It's a top-fermented beer with a fruity, light yeast note in aroma and taste, as well as a pleasant, hoppy bitterness. It's got a golden, hoppy, bright pale ale color, and according to convention, must be served in a six-ounce tall, straight Kolsch Stangen glass. Even today, the Stangen glasses are carried to tables in Cologne on racks. Since it's only a six ounce glass, you know you're gonna need to keep a few handy so you don't go thirsty. Today, the Cologne Brewers Association consists of 20 brewers and 11 of them are producing Kolsch. Craft brewers in the States make it as an approachable beer for those who may not be into craft beer just yet. Which gets us back to Staten Island's flagship brewing company and head brewer, Patrick Morse. He's going to tell us a lot about their Kolsch and their other beers and how they make unforgettable beer brewed in the Forgotten Borough. So, Patrick, you said you were from Maine. Correct. Staten Island is a good chunk away from Maine. Yeah, a little bit. A little, <laughs> a little bit. bit. <laughs> what, what, uh, how long have you been brewing? Uh, wow. I started brewing professionally in 2006. Okay. Sorry, I had to think about that. <laughs> um... So that's when I left Maine. Okay. Uh, I went to Vermont. I brewed a harpoon for four or five years. And then I was in L.A. brewing for Eagle Rock mm-hmm. um, okay. in, in northern L.A. for a couple years. And then my now wife got a job in New York and we moved back east. She's also from Maine. Mm-hmm. And uh, I got a job at Greenpoint Beer Works in Brooklyn mm-hmm. for a couple years, and um, then I met these guys who were getting this project going in 2014. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, and I've been here at Flagship since the beginning. Since the beginning. Yep. Okay. So we'll we'll come back to that. But when you were leaving Maine, why why beer? What got you to the point where you said I want to do this professionally? Uh, I had been looking, I'd already been looking for a job in the beer industry since mm-hmm. I got out of college. I, um, I really liked college <laughs> and I really liked high school a lot too. And I, uh, you know, I guess you got to figure out a way to pay your bills after mm-hmm. those things expire. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so I just want, I wanted to find a job that wouldn't suck. Okay. Um, That's a good thing. That's a good attitude to have. (laughs) (laughs) Um, 
So the beer industry, like the, the craft brewing industry, back the way it was back then, um, and it's not that different now, um, was, was kind of the winner for me. That mm-hmm. was what I really wanted to do. Okay. And um, I had written my senior thesis in, uh, in college. I went to Hartwick, uh, upstate New York, mm-hmm. um, just like a, a, a bachelor's degree. I wrote it on the craft brewing industry and visited a bunch of breweries so that's when i got to see a little bit of like uh the the company culture and, okay. and stuff like that so that's kind of how i decided all right yeah this I is wanna, what you want to do i want to work there yeah. i didn't know if i'd you know be a brewer or if i'd work you know on the business side of things but then you know you find out <laughs> if you want to work at a small brewery you got to you know do everything right so, right which i'm still doing it's so. jack of all trades right <laughs> so you had not been home brewing before i did i had done like a few batches so oh, i got had, out okay. of college and i went back to maine for about a year um and i was working at easy pass uh for most of that year trying to find a brewing job oh easy uh, pass the toll yeah, yeah okay, okay yeah i was like customer service okay got through a temp agency uh it was a great job actually but i there was there was wasn't enough to do right so okay. I, <laughs> I spent like half of my day online looking for a, a beer job um mm-hmm. i had a few leads in maine i had talked to guys at gritties and shipyard and, and you know it was a lot of uh back and forth and then you know yeah, there's no, no shortage one, of, of breweries up there that's for sure yeah and but they just weren't you know they were kind of you know, beating around the bush a little bit. So I started looking outside of Maine, and uh-huh. that's when I found the job at Harpoon, okay. which they have, uh, they're from Boston, and then they have a big production facility in Windsor, Vermont. Okay. And I got sort of like a paid internship there, moved out there, and then I think after a couple months that they hired me full the time. Nice. Yep. Okay. Yeah, I've been to the Boston Harpoon, mm-hmm. but not the, not the production facility in Vermont. Yep. What did you study in school? I studied, I just got a, a, a business management degree. Business management, okay. So I didn't really study anything at all. Um, <laughs> I, no. I, was a, I, I have the other one like that. Yeah. I had a communications degree, yep. so yeah. Yeah, well, I, there's some truth to that. Uh, I didn't study at all. I don't know. I, I didn't even start my degree till my junior year, so okay. I was like, I was undecided forever. Right. You right. know, like I said, like I was like just trying to find like something that i would want to do after college that didn't right. suck and yeah. but you know <laughs> well it, it is i always find it interesting that you have to make that decision when you're 18 19 20 years old yeah i was undecided for and, the whole time and I, to say what you want to do at that point in time in your life no. for the rest of your life yeah is is a monumental task to ask a 19 year old I mean, you know what think, do you want to do yeah i mean i didn't really understand you know what college was you know to be honest like i like that sounds kind of stupid but like you know i felt like if i was going to if i knew what i wanted to do i could do like i could go to a school that would be specifically for that and that would be the ticket but i didn't know what to do so i went to a liberal arts school and i studied abroad and i Mm -hmm. did stuff like that right which is (laughs) you know you know what which is in a lot of ways i think not to digress but a friend of my father's once told me you go to college to learn how to learn. 
Yeah, exactly. Not necessarily yeah. to learn something, but to learn how to learn things. Yeah. You yep. know, on your own to help progress life. Yeah. All right. I learned I like beer. There you go. That's not a rare, that's not a rare uh, acquisition yeah. of knowledge in college, though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's true. All right. So you're in, you, Harpoon hires you on. Yeah. Um, and I'm guessing at the time, Harpoon was probably a decent sized shop in 2005, this, 2005 six. six. Yeah. Um, yeah, they were yeah. big. They had just hit 100,000 barrels a year okay. for the first time um, that year I started. Um, and I was, I mean, within two months, I was working. I, was, I think I was training in the brew house there. It's a 50-barrel brew house. So we're knocking out 1,600 gallons about per batch. And we were doing it like anywhere between four and six times a day. So that's, you know, 200 to 300 barrels a day. That we, were, we were cranking. We that's were cranking. a good amount. I was thrown right into it, which was awesome because I was like 23, and that's kind of like the best way to learn. Yeah, you know? so you were right, actually doing the brewing right yeah. then and there. You yeah, weren't like trained, sweeping the floors and bottling. You were, I, they, they needed, threw you right in the brew house. <laughs> I, I lucked out because they needed someone. I, I was like, my eyes lit up, obviously, but they, yeah, two guys, another guy started the internship around the same time as me, and... But he had started before, and they needed someone in the cellars to run the the, the DE filter, um, and so he was a little ahead. So he went jumped right into that, and then they trained me in the brew house. And you know, the idea was to to you know then we'd swap you know six months down the road, which we did, mm -hmm. which was great. Um, and then I went back to the brew house, you know, six months after that. And like, just cause of like, we had turnover and we had uh, a new bottling line coming in, you know, there was a lot of people and I was kind of a fixture in the brew house, I guess, for, you know, about three years after that. But it nice. was, it was cool. So like, yeah, three or four months into it, I'm like brewing 200 barrels of beer every day and like, and kitchen grain you know, and yep. yeah, all nice. that stuff. Yeah. Nice. So you were there, uh, I'm sorry, it was what, how long you were you? Harpoon? I was a Harpoon from, it was about four and a half years. Okay. Yeah. So from 2000, early 2006 to late 2010. Okay. Does that make sense? Yeah. 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 And then you headed out West. You said Los mm -hmm. Angeles, right? Yeah. So what, what drove that move? Like what, what made you say, I'm going to pick up and go from, from Vermont and, and to head out to LA? Hmm. Is my wife going to listen to this podcast? <laughs> uh, yeah, it was mainly her. Okay. Yeah. Right. She, she was living out there. She was a friend that I had, you know, been friends with a, a, a long time since like middle school and mm -hmm. we'd stayed close and, uh, you know, kind of messed up our other relationships beforehand, you know, mm -hmm. Okay, <laughs> as, well, as a lot of people do yep, and yep. figured to not mess this up. And yeah, and I was you know, living in rural Vermont, you know, and moving to LA sounded like pretty, pretty cool at the cool time, exciting, and, you right? know, get well, out there. And I have to tell you, you're probably not the first man to ever move for a woman. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, it's twice. Happened, it's I've happened done it before. twice now. It's happened before in history. <laughs> she, she's the reason why we ended up in New York, too, which was, you know, it's awesome. So when you, good. you moved out to L.A., what was your, what was you, were you doing the same thing in, in that brewery, or was it a step up? It was it a bump up? Um, It was, it wasn't a bump up or a bump down or anything. It was, it was just a totally different thing. It was, they had been open, uh, 
I think a little over six months. Okay, so they were small um, then they, too. They had yeah. just opened. Yeah, okay. and at the time, the only the only people running the operation were the people that owned it. it was, right. Okay. Uh, Jeremy, uh, sorry, Jeremy, Jeremy Rob, his father Steve Rob, and Jeremy's wife Ting, and we. You know, and they were homebrewers. They're in a huge homebrew club in uh, Southern California called the Maltos Falcons. Um, okay. So there's a little shot <laughs> shot out um, if any of those guys are listening to this podcast. But I, I know they have like a bunch of other podcasts too right. that they do. Um, yep. But they uh, they started that up, and you know, I came in with you know a few years of of, of bigger scale, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, Brewing, and so I, yeah, I did everything there. Right, I mean, right. just a little bit of everything. So how? What is that? What is that like? Because it seems like you kind of went the opposite direction. You know, usually p- people step to bigger facilities. You came in and stepped down. Not you know, not to, yeah. not not negatively, but went from a bigger house to a smaller house. Sure. What's the adjustment? What's that like? Um. Luckily, I was still young. Okay, because <laughs> those things just didn't like, you know, they bounced off me. You know, it's it's a huge adjustment, really. You just, and I was, it, I, you know, I kind of got my first like, uh, you know, I guess you'd say like that was the first time that I, you know, got to like make serious decisions that could affect the beer. Where a, a harpoon is very, it was, you know, it was very much like. Here's what you have to do. Right. Here's the recipe. Here's how you're, you know, right. I don't ever want to hear anything from you because if I do, that means something went wrong. You right. Know? Like, okay. Yeah. <laughs> not, right. not, not quite as, uh, you know, not quite as stout as that. But <laughs> okay. Yeah. But yeah. I got you. I got you. So this, this gave you the opportunity, I guess, to play a little bit too. Yeah. Yeah. We yeah. got to, you know, they had some, some awesome beers already in the works. So I got to kind of, you know, take over um, a lot of the brewing of them and learning a lot about them um, and participate in the brewing of, uh, you know, the newer beers we were making and stuff, which was which was great. <laughs> we were brewing about three core beers at the time I started and then we started making an IPA and then they had a homebrew competition where the winner, we brewed a full batch of the beer. Mm-hmm. Um, and Donnie Hummel was the winner. And he brewed a Imperial Red Rye IPA. Okay. I think I said that right. <laughs> okay. Uh, <laughs> and we brewed it full scale and entered it into the Pro-Am at GABF and it won gold. So that was like the... The, the crazy, like, fun first experience for me there because I had only been there a few months and right. we went out to Den- I got to go out to Denver and, like, you know, the awards ceremony and all that stuff. That was so that was a blast. And that was your first time at GABF. That was my first time nice. at GABF, okay. too. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So it's good to go out there and, and get the gold then that first, that first trip. Nice. Yeah. Nice. So then you're out there and then I guess you're, you're married, you get married out there. I got engaged you out got there. Engaged yeah, out there. Okay. San Clemente, man, little surfer town. Nice. You know, Very cool. Pop the question. <laughs> Excellent. That's, that's, that sounds like a good place to do it. Yeah. So then her job brings you back east. Yeah. She got a – she does, like, PR for music um, and now film. Um, back then she was mainly in the music industry. Mm-hmm. And 
yeah, she had an opportunity and we thought long and hard about it and it just made sense mm-hmm. um, okay. to, to come back east. And, you know, she, she was, I think at that point, she had been out there longer than me. Um, I could have stayed a few more years, probably. Right. But uh, she was, she'd been out there for five years, and I think she wanted to be closer to her family and stuff, and so did I. Right. Because they're both up in Maine. So we... Yeah. Uh, LA know, to Maine's a, it's a good hike. It's, yeah, it's hard <laughs> to get back, you know. You do, like, a lot of Friendsgivings and stuff like that. Right. And- <laughs> okay. Okay. So then you said this is, what, like 2010? That's then? 2010. 2010? Okay. Yeah. Oh, that was 2011. 2011. Yeah. Okay. And then, luckily, I mean, Brooklyn... At about that time, the beer scene was probably picking up pretty good. Yeah, it was picking up. It was definitely picking up. It's nothing like it is now, though. Um, It was... So Greenpoint Beer Works, which is in Clinton Hill, we were, we, which was great because we found uh, an apartment in Clinton Hill too. Mm-hmm. So okay. I was right near the brewery, which was awesome. It's always great to um, fall out of bed into work, right? Yeah, which I did most <laughs> of the time, obviously. <laughs> um, so that the Greenpoint Beer Works, so they make uh, the were the only producers of Heartland Breweries beers and Kelso Breweries. So those were kind okay. of the home brands, right. and they did some a. Uh, they did a bunch of contracting and stuff like that too. So okay. I learned quite a bit about that. And uh, you know, when I was there, I was there for about two years, two and a half maybe. And there was, um, I think we were brewing for like six different breweries. You know, most right. of the time I was there. So you learn a lot about like recipes and and uh, you know different ingredients just because all those breweries are coming from different different angles different you know home brewing or professional mm-hmm. brewing or whatever so you're looking at all this different stuff uh that people use to make beer and mm-hmm. i was i was pretty that, that was a good experience for me before coming to this job because okay. i got to learn more about different ingredients and different recipes and different uh you know way that's yeah that's got to be very cool because you're seeing it firsthand but all these different point of views that's got to be a really great learning experience. It, it was. It was super helpful. Like yeah. I, I feel like I would not have been, you know, as well prepared to, you know, come to a an up and start brewery and and you know handle all the you know recipe development and mm-hmm. and you know brewing is easy for me. You know, at that point, I should say brewing was 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 easy for me because I've been doing it so long. So that wasn't you know, but that was a good that was a good way to get some experience. You know, learning more about you know recipe development right. and um, okay. you know how certain styles of beer um you know reacts to different yeast and and stuff like that which you know that's all stuff i learned a lot before Mm -hmm. as well like you know harpoon had a lot of that was a really good educational um you know experience there because there was so much that you could learn and i was so new to it right but then i I, but that like you said that's kind of like a you know because it's a bigger brewery things are set you know, it's mm-hmm. a set like your their IPA is always going to be their IPA, and it's always you have to nail it every time. Yeah, you do. You really you know. do have to nail it every time. But they give you they 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 definitely make it easy to do that too, because mm-hmm. you're using like really good equipment. But all the like, you know, most of the brewers there and the you know the higher ups and stuff, they all had a wealth. They all went to brewing school. Like okay. either, you know, usually either like Siebel or UC Davis or something like that. And so I was able to like, you know, learn a lot from those guys. Go to I school you know, on them, right. You know, I had okay. some good mentors and stuff to like, because they had really good answers to my questions. So that was awesome. Okay, but, cool. So then, all right. So now we're sitting in the flagship tap room. 
and what? How do you get across the Verrazano Bridge to get here? How did how did all that happen? Uh, that was I. You know, I wasn't. It, it found me when I wasn't looking for it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like I, I had a job. Um, you know, I I I kind I had already decided I wasn't gonna work at that brewery forever which was probably a good decision because it's not there anymore right um i mean the the all the beers that were made there still exist but that specific brewery is now uh is now gone so um i was lucky actually in a way to 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 find this to get out i didn't know at the time (laughs) that it would be um so that was oh 2013 I don't know. I think I just had like one of those like annoying days at work where everything doesn't work. Okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I uh, I went on to like the probrewer.com you know, classified mm-hmm. and saw that they were looking for a brewer um, in New York City somewhere. It was very minimal, like few sentences. So I just hit him back and said, you know, what, where, where are you looking to do it? And then I met, you know, Jay Sykes and Matt McGinley, the the co-founders, like, you know, a few weeks later, we had some beers and talked at uh, Ulysses um, down in uh, downtown Manhattan, mm-hmm. right, right on the other side of the uh, the harbor where the ferry goes. Uh-huh. But they, you know, they told me what the deal was and, um, you know, asked me if I wanted to, you know, become a small partner and all that stuff and, you know. And then we made some homebrews, and that's pretty much how that all went that, down. That's how it went down. Yeah. Okay. Now, when you came into this, did they have a set of stuff that they wanted to do already? Like, were there recipes in place, or was it still that new that it was all brand new? That it was- At that point, it was all brand new. There okay. was nothing uh, as far as, like, specific beers or anything. Um, so the brewery was, was being built. Okay. The beer still needed to be made. Made, you okay. Know, or, or, you know created right um so jay bought a sabco brewing system which is like we use it as a pilot system it makes about one keg of beer okay uh but it's kind of like a real advanced homebrew setup um and we set that up that summer and i would come here on the weekends and we'd brew okay um and that's how we created the beers and 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 did it from there so we're so was the three uh yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, kit. yep. Okay. Yep. With, you know, I think I, the first beer we made was the APA or mm-hmm. some version of it. Okay. <laughs> the, the APA we have here. We have a, a wit. The, the first, I should say, the first three beers we came out with were the first beers I was making on the Sabco. So it was, we had a dark mild. Um, all, all these beers we still make, some of them, uh, like the dark milds, you know, limited now. Mm-hmm. Um, the APA, the uh, American Wit, and the Dark Mild. So we were okay. working on all those recipes and trying, you know, little tweaks and, and this and that. And usually what would happen is we'd make the beer and it would come out and a bunch of Jay and Matt's friends would come down and we'd drink it all. So Okay. That was your that was your quality assurance yeah. department? Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> maybe I should be like putting some of this aside to <laughs> no, no, let's 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 drink it. There you go. <laughs> all right. So um now you mentioned so that's still your pilot system. Mm-hmm. How big of a system how big is your production system here? So the brew house is fifteen barrels. Um so if 
I'm sure most people listening would know what a barrel is, but if not, it's you know it's a cooperage term and it's 31 uh, gallons U.S. Mm-hmm. gallons. So um, when you're brewing, you we have like a they call it a high gravity system, um, but we. So we run off a little more than that. We do about like 18, 19 barrels, boil it down, knock it out into the fermenters. And then we, you know, if it's dry hopped, we do that. And, mm-hmm. you, you know, you lose some of that um, throughout the process. You lose some of that volume. So it ends up being, you know, about 500 gallons or so that we brew per batch. And then we have 30 barrel fermenters. So it's twice that. Mm-hmm. So okay. two back-to-back batches into one 30-barrel fermenter ends mm-hmm. up being about 1,000 gallons. Right. Okay. And how many fermenters do you have? We have we have 11. 11. That's, yeah. a, good, that's a good number, yeah. Yep. That's a good number. So you're, you're, you're cranking out a lot of beer. Yeah. Yeah. We, we're cranking out a lot of beer. This is definitely our busiest time of the year, um, usually like April, May, June. Um, people drink more. <laughs> Than the summer, this this, time of year, yeah, especially when the summer first starts. I mean, I I, I mean, definitely more in New York than other areas. I would say even because there's so many bars and stuff already, but there's also a lot of like beer gardens and stuff that open up, Mm -hmm. and those places just go through volume so fast, you know. And how many how many beers are you going through? How many beers are you making now? Five. We have five beers that we make all the time. Okay. Um, we have, I guess, two like seasonals that we do every year, and then we have, um, you know, we kind of use the winter and spring season to just kind of uh, experiment. Okay. We've done like a different winter seasonal every year. We've done something different in the spring every year. <laughs> sometimes we bring those beers, you know, back here and there, and sometimes we just do one-offs as they call them, and okay. you know. Now, do they start on the pilot, and then you go into into the into the bigger brew house, or have you just done stuff right at the right at the brew house and just wing it and let's see how it goes? Little of both, little of both, okay, <laughs> little of both. Like, um, like this beer that we're about to drink, the Kolsch. That beer I did on the Sabco a bunch of times yeah. because I knew we were going to be making a Kolsch, and I knew that I wanted to be a traditional Kolsch and there was a lot of like tweaking and stuff, like minor tweaking, but like stuff I wanted to get right. right. I knew we were gonna come out with like a full production. Like, we, you know, we were really trying to go after it with this and it's, you know, and it's done pretty well. So, but like stuff like, um, you know, I just did the an IPA called Wicked Sippa, a session IPA and that I just did on the fly, like okay. a lot. So, so most of the one-offs will be done on the fly. If I'm doing something that I know will be, you know, something bigger production that we might keep doing, I would I would make myself do, do it on do, do the Sapco well, a few times. It, and is it also because it is a traditional culture that you want to that you wanted to really nail it, nail the nail the um, nail the recipe down because it's a well-known right style. Yeah, because because it's. It's, you know, originating Cologne, Germany. Mm-hmm. That style was like, I guess you'd say kind of like an ale version of all of, of a Pilsner. Right. Um, so all those like classic styles like that that originated in some European city, like the water profile is, is pretty important if you want to make it, 
taste like the traditional ones. Right. Um, and the water, the New York City water, is great for brewing, but it's pretty neutral, you know, for for the most part when it comes to to minerals and stuff. So we we were tweaking around with the water a little bit, um, you know. The, the, it's not very hoppy, so we didn't have to make, you know, a lot of, we didn't have to, you know, mess with, with too many different, you know, hop scenarios. We just kind of found one we liked and, and stuck with it and, you know, trying different different grains and okay. stuff like that, too. When you, with your hops, I mean, I'm assuming you guys have a hop contract that you work against every year. How does that yeah. limit or influence, rather, how does that influence your approach um it it does a lot actually um or it did it doesn't so much now and i don't know if it's if i've changed or the hop industry's changed even in the last few years because when i started here it was hard to get hops Mm -hmm. it was hard to get you know even some of the more common varieties and right now it's not hard to get those ones you know there's there's some stuff out there that's like that is hard to get but there's plenty of good hops that that are available on the spot market but i do have contracts for most most of the hops that are used in our um you know in our year-round beers and and that was the actually knowing that there was a shortage back in 2014 at least of the hops i wanted to use that's why we didn't come out with an IPA right off the bat because I okay. had already kind of had an idea of what I wanted it to be, and I had just gotten the contracts, and I'm like, well, this doesn't start for another year. Okay. So <laughs> I was like, well, a, a brewery opened in 2014. It opened without an IPA. Yeah. That's yeah. That's pretty amazing. And now it's now you know it's probably our best selling or or you know one of our top selling beers. Mm-hmm. Um, but well, I would say you nailed the culture. This is this Thank is you. this is very nice. Yeah, thanks. And it's, it's very very crisp, very very clear, very like you said, almost the pills a little lager lager yeah, sweetness feel yeah. to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now this is one of the year rounds. This is a year, year round. round. Yeah, that we we bottle it now. We started bottling it not too long ago, and yeah, it's. Four or four point nine percent alcohol, I okay. think. So it's pretty sessionable. Right. Um, you know, it's our probably most sessionable beer. This is the beer that I tell all the bartenders to give people when they ask for Bud Light. Okay. So <laughs> even though not, it doesn't taste right. like Bud Light, but, but it's they, the closest we have. But if they're not craft beer yeah. people, this Which, is yeah, that happens pretty often so you know right. you kind of <laughs> well, at least here it does and well it, you know what from all the breweries i've talked to it, it's it's a very common thing where people will walk in either usually within a group and one or two of them may yeah. say i don't like craft beer yeah. i drink or, but i do yeah. what do you have that tastes like that right, right. yeah right. which is a Not, big, nothing but <laughs> we can this is the the this is the right color right. Right. um and the right body uh you know, there's no hops. Right. <laughs> there's no, the, you know, it's mostly a, it's mostly malt and, and and I guess the yeast uh, character of this beer. Mm-hmm. This guy here is that's a lot lo- our lager. That's your lager. Our okay. me- metropolitan lager. This is a. It doesn't really fit into any kind of style of lager. I've tried to figure it out. 
Like if we, you know, we're going to enter it in something, but it doesn't, it's, the base malts are Vienna and rye. And, but it's not like a true Vienna lager. No. And it's not like incredibly spicy like, a, you know, some rye beers could be. It's more like smooth. Yeah. You know, I, I think you get a good like smoothness with the texture when you use rye and beer and that's why I wanted to put it in this one and this one's filtered so it's you know nice clear well, like a Vienna lager are a little bit usually a little darker yeah like if you look at like Brooklyn lager you know they're not quite amber but not quite so it doesn't really fit like into any of those like stylistic guidelines so but well it's very good regardless of its style well, thank you. It's that's nice. That yeah, I was told that even even in New York, in the middle of the budding craft beer scene, that like loggers are king. E- even with craft beer, with a Firestone Walker, for instance, mm-hmm. you know they are known for pale ales, IPAs, and their best-selling beer in New York. Someone told me once, at least, is their pills. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, right? Is that the yeah? I think I've heard pills? that. that yeah, think. New York is a very big pills market. <laughs> yeah. So I made you know, and I I didn't have a lot of experience with lager. I'll be you know upfront about that. So I like you know, the people don't make them. Harpoon didn't make anything. Uh, a couple one offs once in a while. Right. And um, and for the craft beer industry in general, the last only the last couple of years have people started to really make lagers. It was it's tough. Yeah. I mean, it takes longer. It takes, it's, it's that's harder. That's the main thing. Right? Is, I mean, is how long it takes. Yeah. And these are, these, this is a six weeks, six week lager. Um, and I, I wish it was an eight week lager, but you know, this is our, you know, top selling beer and, and you know, it's hard to have a small brewery and have one beer take six weeks and the rest of them take two weeks. You right, know, right? <laughs> yeah. So well, and you only have eleven tanks, right? right so you've yeah. got to, yeah. I mean that that's a big investment to keep them to keep them in the tank that long. Yeah. And then last but not least, this is the one that just came out today. Yeah, it came out today. It came out yesterday, but um, I think it's been more publicized today okay. <laughs> on the social media. On the social media. So this is kind of a trendy beer. Um, it's a... It's called Wicked Sippa. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Shout out to, to Maine. <laughs> I guess the word wicked is associated with, uh, with, with my home state. So, okay. yeah, that's... Right. But it is a... It's kind of like a session. It's a session IPA. That's the SIPA acronym in Wicked SIPA. But it's also it's also kind of like a New England style IPA, or or is a New England style mm-hmm. IPA. So it's it's hazy, it's juicy, it's um, you know dry hopped like more than the average IPA. Right. Um, and it was a bit of a kitchen sink beer because I had a bunch of uh, hops that were in the cooler that I had bought for a different session IPA that we that I didn't end up making because we got busy doing other stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, 
that I wanted to try out. And, you know, it ended up, but I had, you know, and I had some other hops that I liked that I didn't, you know, have a plan for. So I'm like, I didn't make a plan for these hops. And, uh, you know, there were some new ones that I'd never used before. Um, one's called Cashmere. One's called Jester. Uh, s- some of the other hops. And I'd never used either of those ones before. And they, they were pretty cool. They yeah. were, you know, something something different. It, and it definitely has a very, it, it is a definitely a New England, yeah. but it has a unique characteristic that I'm trying to, and maybe it's it's the different hops. Mm-hmm. What, I'm fe- what I'm feeling on my tongue is different mm-hmm. than any other, any other New England IPA I've had. Yeah, it could be it could be the hops. Yeah, it could be. It actually finished out um, its fermentation um, a little bit lower than uh, you know some of the other New England IPAs might. Uh, this this kind of yeast that that most people use, like you know, I think London Three or there's there's a lot of different like forms of it out there. Mm-hmm. You know, it got popular in Vermont, I think first. Shout out to Vermont, <laughs> thus in the New England, <laughs> and yeah. uh, so that they, it's not, but it's a kind of an underperforming yeast when it comes to attenuation, and but this one actually attenuated, which I was glad it did mm-hmm. because you know it's also kind of a sessionable IPA, so it's okay. only five point three okay. percent alcohol. Yeah. Um, well, that's I basically wanted to call it a session IPA so I didn't have to call it a New England IPA, but then it became a New England IPA. <laughs> yeah, okay. So, <laughs> but that's you know what that's you, you bring up a good point though because like you go to the store now and, and even you know by me there's a really good um, craft beer store and it's hard to find today anything that's not especially in the New England anything that's not like an imperial or a double you mm-hmm. know like to find an IPA a New England IPA that's five yeah. That doesn't happen all the time. Yeah, I guess I guess that particular style is usually more common to be in like the six seven range, which yeah. our, our regular IPA, which I was saying is more like a West Coast style IPA, mm-hmm. um, not quite as bitter, but um, but not as juicy and like kind of thin um, as as this one. It's a wicked sipper. Thanks, Patrick. You can visit Flagship Brewing on Minthorn Avenue on Staten Island. Visit flagshipbrewery.nyc for taproom hours and more info. Like I said, this is the first episode of Season 3 of the podcast, and there are some very cool things on the way. Different types of conversations, conversations in different places. I think you're going to dig what you're going to hear soon. As always, please check out the blog at overbeers.beer. Leave a rating for the podcast on iTunes. It really helps, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also leave a comment on the blog or send me an email. I'd love to hear your thoughts and ideas for the show. Email address is cheers at santefoto.com. S-A-N-T-E-P-H-O-T-O.com. We've got a new Instagram account, at overbeerspod. I'm Freddie Clark, and I'm going to go have a beer, but I'll be back real soon with more conversations over beers.